Section 37 of Elia and the Last Essays of Elia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arden. Elia and the Last Essays of Elia by Charles Lamb. The Convalescent. A pretty severe fit of indisposition, which under the name of a nervous fever, has made a prisoner of me for some weeks past, and is but slowly leaving me, has reduced me to an incapacity of reflecting upon any topic foreign to itself. Expect no healthy conclusions from me this month, reader. I can offer you only sick men's dreams. And truly, the whole state of sickness is such, for what else is it but a magnificent dream for a man to lie abed and draw daylight curtains about him, and shutting out the sun, to induce a total oblivion of all the works which are going on under it, to become insensible to all the operations of life, except the beatings of one feeble pulse, if there be a regal solitude, it is a sickbed. How the patient lords it there! What caprices he acts without control! How kinglike he sways his pillow, tumbling and tossing and shifting and lowering and thumping and flatting and moulding it to the ever-varying requisitions of his throbbing temples! He changes sides oftener than a politician. Now he lies full length, then half length, obliquely, transversely, head and feet quite across the bed, and none accuses him of tergiversation. Within the four curtains, he is absolute. They are his mere clausum. How sickness enlarges the dimensions of a man's self to himself. He is his own exclusive object. Supreme selfishness is inculcated upon him as his only duty. Tis the two tables of the law to him. He has nothing to think of but how to get well. What passes out of doors or within them, so he hear not the jarring of them, affects him not. A little while ago, he was greatly concerned in the event of a lawsuit which was to be the making or the marring of his dearest friend. He was to be seen trudging about upon this man's errand to fifty quarters of the town at once, jogging this witness, refreshing that solicitor. The cause was to come on yesterday. He is absolutely as indifferent to the decision as if it were a question to be tried at Pekin, peradventure from some whispering, going on about the house, not intended for his hearing. He picks up enough to make him understand that things went cross-grained in the court yesterday, and his friend is ruined. But the word friend and the word ruin disturb him no more than so much jargon. He is not to think of anything but how to get better. What a world of foreign cares are merged in that absorbing consideration. He has put on the strong armor of sickness. He is wrapped in the callous hide of suffering. He keeps his sympathy, like some curious vintage, under trusty lock and key, for his own use only. He lies pitying himself, honing and moaning to himself. He yearneth over himself. His bowels are even melted within him to think what he suffers. He is not ashamed to weep over himself. He is forever plotting how to do some good to himself, studying little stratagems and artificial alleviations. He makes the most of himself, dividing himself by an allowable fiction into as many distinct individuals as he hath sore and sorrowing members. Sometimes he meditates, as of a thing apart from him, upon his poor aching head, and that dull pain which dozing or waking lay in it all the past night like a log, or palpable substance of pain not to be removed without opening the very skull, as it seemed, to take it thence. Or he pities his long, clammy, attenuated fingers. He compassionates himself all over, and his bed is a very discipline of humanity and tender heart. He is his own sympathizer, and instinctively feels that none can so well perform that office for him. He cares for few spectators to his tragedy, only that punctual face of the old nurse pleases him, that announces his brats and his cordials. He likes it because it is so unmoved, 
and because he can pour forth his feverish ejaculations before it as unreservedly as to his bedpost. To the world's business he is dead. He understands not what the callings and occupations of mortals are, only he has a glimmering conceit of some such thing when the doctor makes his daily call, and even in the lines of that busy face he reads no multiplicity of patients, but solely conceives of himself as the sick man. To what other uneasy couch the good man is hastening, when he slips out of his chamber, folding up his thin douceur so carefully for fear of rustling, is no speculation which he can at present entertain. He thinks only of the regular return of the same phenomenon at the same hour tomorrow. Household rumors touch him not, some faint murmur, indicative of life going on within the house, soothes him, while he knows not distinctly what it is. He is not to know anything, not to think of anything. Servants gliding up or down the distant staircase, treading as upon velvet, gently keep his ear awake, so long as he troubles not himself further than with some feeble guess at their errands. Exacter knowledge would be a burthen to him. He can just endure the pressure of conjecture. He opens his eye faintly at the dull stroke of the muffled knocker, and closes it again without asking who was it. He is flattered by a general notion that inquiries are making after him, but he cares not to know the name of the inquirer. In the general stillness, an awful hush of the house, he lies in state and feels his sovereignty. To be sick is to enjoy monarchical prerogatives. Compare the silent tread and quiet ministry, almost by the eye only, with which he is served, with the careless demeanor, the unceremonious goings in and out, slapping of doors or leaving them open, of the very same attendants, when he is getting a little better, and you will confess that from the bed of sickness, thrown, let me rather call it, to the elbow chair of convalescence, is a fall from dignity, amounting to a deposition. How convalescence shrinks a man back to his pristine stature, whereas now the space which he occupied so lately in his own and the family's eye, the scene of his regalities, his sick room, which was his presence chamber, where he lay and acted his despotic fancies. How is it reduced to a common bedroom? The trimness of the very bed has something petty and unmeaning about it. It is made every day. How unlike to that wavy, many-furrowed, oceanic surface, which it presented so short a time since, when to make it was a service not to be thought of at oftener than three or four-day revolutions, when the patient was with pain and grief to be lifted for a little while out of it, to submit to the encroachments of unwelcome neatness and decencies which his shaken frame deprecated, then to be lifted into it again for another three or four days' respite, to flounder it out of shape again, while every fresh furrow was a historical record of some shifting posture, some uneasy turning, some seeking for a little ease, and the shrunken skin scarce told a truer story than the crumpled coverlid. Hushed are those mysterious sighs, those groans, so much more awful, while we knew not from what caverns of vast hidden suffering they proceeded. The Lernaean pangs are quenched, the riddle of sickness is solved, and Philoctetes is become an ordinary personage. Perhaps some relic of the sick man's dream of greatness survives in the still lingering visitations of the medical attendant. But how is he too changed with everything else? Can this be he, this man of news, of chat, of anecdote, of everything but physic? Can this be he? who so lately came between the patient and his cruel enemy, as on some solemn embassy from nature, erecting herself into a high mediating party. Pshaw, tis some old woman. Farewell with him, all that made sickness pompous, the spell that hushed the household, the desert-like stillness, felt throughout its inmost chambers, the mute attendance, the inquiry by looks, the still softer delicacies of self-attention, the sole and single eye of distemper alonely fixed upon itself 
world thoughts excluded, the man a world unto himself, his own theater. What a speck is he dwindled into? In this flat swamp of convalescence, left by the ebb of sickness, yet far enough from the terra firma of established health, your note, dear editor, reached me, requesting an article. An articulo mortis, thought I, but it is something hard, and the quibble, wretched as it was, relieved me. The summons, unseasonable as it appeared, seemed to link me on again to the petty businesses of life, which I had lost sight of. A general call to activity, however trivial, a wholesome weaning from that preposterous dream of self-absorption, the puffy state of sickness, in which I confess to have lain so long, insensible to the magazines and monarchies, of the world alike to its laws and to its literature. The hypochondriac's latest is subsiding. The acres, which in imagination I had spread over, for the sick man swells in the sole contemplation of his single sufferings, till he becomes a tedious to himself, are wasting to a span, and for the giant of self-importance, which I was so lately, you have me once again in my natural pretensions, the lean and meager figure of your insignificant essayist. End of section 37 Recording by Arden, 